We come now, brethren, to the preaching of God's Word, and I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of Romans, and the 13th chapter, the book of Romans, and the 13th chapter, as we once again begin a new chapter in the book of Romans, and continue our exposition of the truths that are portrayed there. Romans chapter 13, and I'll be reading and then preaching on verses 1 through 7 this morning. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. I invite you to follow along as I read aloud this morning. Here Paul writes, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your mercy and grace and for this kind providence this morning of being here to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we would ask now for the work of the Holy Spirit, that he would be our teacher and our guide this morning, that he would reveal to us the meaning of this text and help us to apply it in such a way that our lives are transformed and brought into conformity with your will. Bless us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As Christians, we are called to show honor to others, and especially to those in the household of faith. In fact, in addressing our family obligations to one another back in Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, Paul exhorted us as believers to outdo one another in showing honor. For when we show honor to one another, we not only display humility rather than conceit, but we also demonstrate our commitment to treating one another in the way that God has called us to do. And this should be evident, this should be visible in our church life together. And yet our obligations to show honor to others also extends to individuals outside the church walls as well. For in his great wisdom, God has appointed some within human society at large to occupy roles and to carry out functions that not only influence the common good, but ensure that the church of Jesus Christ can operate unobstructed in relative peace in its work for the gospel. 
because everything that is associated with the common good and those institutions that promote and protect the common good exist for the purpose of furthering the gospel in some form or fashion. And every individual who occupies a position or a role that influences human society and the way the gospel is expressed is subject to God. And he or she is to receive the honor and the prayers of God's people. Now, how do we know this? We know this because here in our text this morning, Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, the Apostle Paul extends his applications beyond the assembly of God's people, and he addresses the Christian's duty to the civil magistrate the Christian's duty to the civil magistrate. And who is the civil magistrate? And what are his duties in society as they are ordered by God? Well, the civil magistrate is one who is appointed by God to uphold civil justice and to oppose the spread of evil and lawlessness in order that social order may be maintained and that the public good may be promoted and defended. In fact, our own Confession of Faith, the Second London Baptist Confession, chapter 24 and paragraph 1, declares that the civil magistrate exercises these functions because under God he is armed with the power of the sword to defend and encourage those who do good and to punish evildoers. And so the functions exercised by the civil magistrate are good and necessary functions that God himself has instituted and that God himself oversees. And why is it important for us to know as God's people, as those who are called to impact society for the gospel, what the role of the civil magistrate is. Well, it's important to know because it is God's will that we recognize the governing authorities that he has placed over us and willingly submit to them whenever they carry out their functions as God has instituted. In fact, this is what Paul means here in verse 1 of Romans chapter 13. Notice what Paul says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For as Christians, we are not to be opposed to the idea of governing authorities. We are not to be opposed with the idea of human government, nor are we to be characterized as those who oppose human authority in general. For some have promoted that kind of mentality throughout the history of the church, and the results have always been disastrous and harmful. But rather we are called to acknowledge the fact that governing authorities do exist within human society as an expression of God's sovereign rule over this earth. And we must not fail to see God's hand at work in the functions that the civil magistrate performs. In fact, Paul makes it very clear here, continuing in verse 1 of Romans 13, that there is no authority except from God. 
no authority except from God, and that those authorities that do exist have been instituted by God. And so just as we should acknowledge the reality and the need for governing authorities over us, we must also acknowledge that those authorities that exist over us do not exist apart from God's control. They currently serve God's sovereign purposes, whatever those purposes for human society and his church might be. And of course, this also applies to governmental authorities that are not godly and government authorities that do not function as God instituted them to function. For while God is not the author of evil, God has nevertheless ordained that some evil authorities will exist and some evil magistrates will carry out their functions wickedly. And they will exist to further God's purposes on earth and in his church especially. For it could be that God will appoint a civil government to exist that openly perverts civil justice and brings persecution to the church in order to awaken the church to the need for greater spiritual steadfastness, in order to strengthen the church because of the opposition it faces. And so Paul's declaration here in verse 1 that there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God is a good and it's a necessary reminder of what our attitudes towards governmental authority should be. Our attitudes should be supportive and prayerful. In fact, it's important to note that Paul addresses over in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 1 through 4 what our Christian duty is with respect to praying earnestly for those in positions of God-given authority. For Paul writes in those verses, I'll read them for you this morning, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Paul says, first of all, or we could translate this, of first importance then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, or all who are in positions of authority. Why? That we may live a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, Paul says. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so Paul stresses here that it is God's will. In fact, he says it is pleasing in the sight of God when we pray for those in authority. And when in response to those prayers, we are enabled by the kind grace of God and the kind providence of God to live peacefully and quietly and godly and dignified lives. For when we are praying for those in authority, rather than complaining about those in authority, when we are willingly submitting to those in authority peacefully and quietly, rather than responding to them with rancor and resistance, 
the blessings of God are manifested not only in society, but within the church as well. In fact, Paul clearly reveals that this kind of response creates an environment that is conducive, that is favorable for the spread of the gospel. For when there is true peace and quietness and godliness and dignity resulting from prayer and obedience to God's word, the gospel advances. It goes forward with power. And this is pleasing in God's sight because he desires all people, all types of people, including those in authority, to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so one way that we can impact society positively for the gospel is to pray for those in authority. To pray for the civil magistrate, that they would be God-fearing people, that they would have the wisdom to make good and wise decisions, that they would take a firm stand against evil and lawlessness, that they would have the moral and spiritual courage to defend what needs defending and to protect what needs to be protected in honor. But above all, that they would judge and lead in such a way that the gospel is free to advance unhindered. And that the church of the living God, which is the pillar and the ground of the truth, according to 1 Timothy 3.15, would not be persecuted or harassed in any way, but rather that the church would prosper. For while it is not the role of the civil magistrate to rule or to give guidance to the church, the civil magistrate can promote its welfare and its good. And so once again, we need to acknowledge that we as Christians have, have certain duties. We have certain responsibilities with respect to the civil magistrate or, or respect to the governing authorities. And how we resist or how we accept these duties speaks volumes about us. Speaks volumes about our own unwillingness or our own willingness to submit to God. In fact, it's important to note that Paul devotes the remainder of this section of Romans chapter 13, verses 2 through 7, to addressing our own need for the right kind of spiritual response. The right kind of spiritual response. And he does so first by warning us of the grave consequences that come to those who resist the clear command to be subject to the governing authorities as they fulfill their God-given roles in society. And Paul's words to those who might be tempted to resist the governing authorities are clear and powerful. They are clear and powerful. For Paul writes, beginning here in verse 2, notice, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Now think about those words very carefully. Let them settle in. Whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who do resist will incur judgment. And so Paul doesn't beat around the bush, so to speak, when it comes to addressing what really happens when a person resists the lawful authority of the civil magistrate. But Paul moves to the very heart of the issue. He goes to the very heart. 
and he reveals that resisting what God has appointed by means of governing authorities is nothing less than an offense deserving of judgment. An offense deserving of judgment. Because lawlessness, which is what resistance is at its heart, must be judged in order for civil order to function as God has instituted it. And so Paul is saying here, if you resist what has been appointed by God, then you can fully expect to be judged. And you will be judged by the very authority that you thought that you could resist or overcome, and that being the civil magistrate himself. For when we resist the governing authorities without biblical cause, without biblical justification, we view the civil magistrate as a detriment to what we want. And yet the reality is the civil magistrate exists to curb lawlessness, including your lawlessness and my lawlessness. And in this sense, the civil magistrate exists to strike fear in us if we stray from the good and we embrace what is bad. In fact, in describing how we should view our civil rulers, Paul writes here in verse 3, notice verse 3, For rulers, as appointed by God, are not a terror to good conduct, or in other words, they should not strike fear in us if our conduct is good, but too bad. Because if our conduct is good, if our conduct is peaceable, if our conduct is quiet, and our conduct is godly and dignified, we have nothing to fear from the civil magistrate at all. We have nothing to fear from the governmental authorities. And thus, Paul makes the case here in verse 4 of, verse of chapter 13 here. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. And why? Because he is God's servant, Paul says, for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. And needless to say, there is a grave seriousness here in what Paul is saying. These are serious words to consider, because Paul wants us to take the role of the civil magistrate seriously because he plays an appointed role under God. In fact, notice several things here in what Paul has been saying. Notice first the identifier that Paul uses for the civil magistrate, for he is God's servant for your good. For whose good? For your good. For the civil magistrate is charged with ensuring your good. And if he carries that task out faithfully, he will not allow you, he will not allow me to become lawless without consequence. Second, notice the expression, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He does not bear the sword in vain because the civil magistrate has not only received a position of authority from God, but God has also armed him. Notice that. God has armed the civil authority with the means, with the weapon, if you will, the sword, to enforce his authority even to the point of death. In fact, many commentators see here in this reference 
to the sword the power of capital punishment upon those who resist authority, upon those who are worthy of death. Whenever the civil magistrate uses that sword righteously, he is not acting outside of his authority that's been given to him by God, but he is literally acting on God's behalf. God is acting through him, is what Paul is saying. For Paul states here at the end of verse 4 of Romans 13, For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So the portrait that God gives us here in this text of Scripture of the civil magistrate is a powerful portrait. It's an intimidating portrait. In fact, if we are lawless and insistent that we will never submit to God-given authority, this portrait is intended to fill our hearts with terror, to fill our hearts with dread that we can't shake off. For the avenger of God will be in hot pursuit of those who actively rebel against God's order. Let me repeat that. The avenger of God will be in hot pursuit of those who actively rebel against God's appointed order. And the sharpened arrow of God's wrath will find its mark in the heart of the lawless. God's judgment will be served. And what does this mean? If we desire to go through this life with a clear conscience... If we desire to go through this life with the assurance that we will not be impacted by the edge of the sword, so to speak. Well, Paul writes here in verse 5 of Romans 13, Therefore one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Notice that, for the sake of conscience. Because our consciences cannot be at rest in a sense, in the sense that Paul means it, unless we are in subjection to God-given authority over us. We are in subjection to God-given authority over us. And what is the proof, brethren, that we are in subjection to authority as it is possessed and exercised by the governing authorities over us? Well, Paul mentions here in verses 6 and 7 some ways that we demonstrate a true understanding of these truths. And we provide sure evidence that we are willing to obey what God commands of us in his word. Or Paul writes here, beginning in verse 6, for because of this, or for this very cause, or for these reasons that I've just explained, you also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. What is Paul's reason here for bringing up taxation? What an uncomfortable topic, taxation. Well, Paul is simply saying here that one way that we express our understanding of the role and the necessity of the civil magistrate is the fact that we pay our taxes. We pay our taxes. And in doing so, we acknowledge 
that in order to fulfill his role, the role that the Lord has given to him, the civil magistrate must possess the material means for the faithful discharge of his labors. For the civil magistrate cannot maintain the civil order nor adequately ensure the proper defense and protection of his subjects without the physical resources and the paid manpower that's needed to do it. Paul clearly teaches here that the civil magistrate, as a minister of God, notice that language, as a minister of God, not only has the right to this financial support, but that God's people shouldn't see this requirement as some tyrannical imposition on their freedom or upon their wallets. In fact, at no place does Paul suggest here that Christians are exempt from taxation when it is required and used for the purpose that Paul just described. Furthermore, Paul states here in verse 7 of Romans 13 that Christians should pay to all what is owed. Notice what he says. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. And of course, if we look at these commands in the context of the governing authorities, which we've been considering in some detail this morning, we see that Paul is speaking about our obligation to pay tribute to those in authority in a variety of God-honoring ways. A variety of ways. For example, Paul repeats here in verse 7, the obligation to pay taxes to whom taxes are owed. Because paying our taxes is a way of acknowledging that we owe something to the government authorities. In fact, even the Lord Jesus Christ urged his disciples who were living under the rule of Caesar to render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But of course, even more importantly, to render unto God the things that are God's. Mark chapter 12 and verse 17. Then Paul exhorts us here in verse 7 to do the same thing when it comes to revenue. Revenue, which probably speaks of other financial obligations that we have to those within governmental service. Furthermore, Paul rounds out the Christian's duty to the civil magistrate by emphasizing the need to show respect to them and to honor the contributions that they make. For at all times, Christians are to acknowledge that God is using others. God is using, yes, even governmental authorities for his glory. And this was true not only in Paul's day, but it's true in our day as well. So there is good reason to pray for and to support, to encourage those governing authorities who rule over us. However, brethren, before we end this message on the Christian's duty to the civil magistrate, I want to ask two questions because I want to consider the whole counsel of God on this issue. The whole counsel of God. For while the civil magistrate exercises a God-given authority, is he the ultimate authority for the Christian? 
Is he the ultimate authority for the Christian? And then secondly, the question, can there be times when resistance and disobedience to the governing authorities are not only warranted, but required of all who honor God first? Can there be such times? And to the very first question, is the civil magistrate the ultimate authority for the Christian? The answer is clearly no. He is not. The civil magistrate is not the ultimate authority for the Christian, for although he receives his authority from God, he is merely a servant of God. Verse 4, he is merely a minister of God. Verse 6, and as such, he is not to be given the honor, he is not to be afforded the allegiance that God alone deserves. And of course, this is important because sometimes civil magistrates being the lost men and the evil men that they sometimes are can forget who they are. And they can try to claim for themselves more than what God has entrusted to them. Civil magistrates can become tyrants who abuse their authority and the people they serve are often derived, or excuse me, deprived of the safety that should be afforded to them by their leaders. And yet we as Christians are called to be on guard against this by remembering who we ultimately serve, that being God, and by resting in God alone. Then to the second question, can there be times when resistance and disobedience to the governing authorities are not only warranted but required for all who honor God first? The answer is an undeniable yes there can be such times. For what ultimately determines what we do as God's people is not the personal will of the civil magistrate, but the revealed will of God as it is written in Scripture. And there may be times when in order to do the latter, there may be times when in order to obey Scripture we must disobey the unauthorized commands of an ungodly civil magistrate. And of course, I say these things not to breed distrust in the role of the civil magistrate, because I've just spent the last 25 minutes presenting and defending the need for the righteous service of the civil magistrate and our duty to pray and to support them. But I say this to remind us that our ultimate loyalty is not to men, our ultimate loyalty is not even to men in authority or under the cover of authority, but our ultimate loyalty is to God. And at times, that loyalty to God and His Word alone may be tested. It may be tested. In fact, it was tested in the ministry of the apostles in Acts chapter 5, wasn't it? For in fearing the progress of the gospel in the city of Jerusalem, the authorities demanded of the apostles that they no longer preach and teach in the name of Jesus Christ. They said, based upon our authority, we forbid you to declare his name. And yet Peter and the apostles declared to them, we must obey God rather than men. 
and they were openly willing to be imprisoned for doing so. Then the early church was also tested during the days of Roman persecution when the authorities demanded that all Roman citizens, including Christians, offer up sacrifices to Caesar as acts of worship and devotion, as acts of good citizenship. And yet countless numbers of believers refused to obey the civil authorities and they were arrested and martyred in the Colosseums where they displayed their true loyalty to God. The loyalty of God's people was also tested during the days of the Reformation when many civil authorities aligned with the Roman Catholic Church demanded that Protestants return to the religious practices of Rome or suffer for their refusal to do so. And many Protestant believers did refuse to return, suffering great hardships, but they had this testimony that they maintained their loyalty to God and to his authority their loyalty to God and to his word. And needless to say, brethren, you and I during our own lifetimes may find ourselves in a position providentially where our ultimate loyalty may be tested. When we are pressured to heed the commandments of men, even men in governing authorities, rather than the commandments of God, and if that happens, we must remember that God is our supreme authority and that to allow men to rule over our consciences rather than God is an act of disloyalty. May God help each of us this morning to consider these words very carefully. May God help each of us to be subject to the governing authorities, to pray for them, to support them, to encourage them, to respect them, to honor them, to give them what we owe them, to give them what they rightly deserve, and to do so in a way that not only shows honor to others, but honors God and his word above all else. May God bless the preaching of his word today. May God give us the grace and the courage to hear it and obey it to the glory of God. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you so much for your word, and we ask now that you would help us to apply it to our own lives. Lord, all of us need to respect those in authority over us, and this includes the civil magistrate. And we live in a day, I fear, when many have an anti-governmental perspective, sometimes for seemingly good reasons, and they don't want to show any respect or honor to people in authority whatsoever, but that is not what you've called us to be like. We are to be subjective or subject to them, and we are to be submissive to their rule as they rule according to your word. And we would ask you to give us the grace to do that, and we would ask you to give us the commitment by your grace, to pray for them and to support them in any way that we can. And Father, we also ask that you would give us the courage to see when it may come time to be more loyal to you and your word than to men. 
And if that should occur, may you give us the courage to do so. May you give us discernment to understand when those times are, if and when they occur, and to act appropriately. For you call us to be loyal. You call us to be faithful, and we would ask for the grace to do that today. And Father, we ask this morning as well that if there's somebody here outside of grace today, somebody here who's never submitted to the ultimate authority of Jesus Christ, who has not bowed the knee to Jesus Christ in willing submission to him, that you would humble them, that you would break their hearts, that you would give them an understanding of their sin, and that you would enable them to repent of that sin and turn in loyalty and allegiance to Jesus Christ. Save the lost today, we pray, through the preaching of your word today. For we ask all of these things this morning in Jesus' blessed name. Amen.